0: intercede for me. Lord Jesus, as we enter into this time of prayer, this meditation with you in your presence, we want to reflect on joy. Today, the third Sunday in Advent, is called Gaudete Sunday, and that comes from the entrance antiphon of today's Mass, Gaudete in Domino Semper, Eterum Dico Gaudete, Dominus Enum Propriest. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. We have this anticipatory joy of Christmas, the joy of anticipating the coming of our Lord soon. The Lord is near. This verse, this antiphon, comes from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Lord Jesus, we know that you've come to save us from sin, but you've also come to make us happy. I knew a priest who used to say that God created us to be happy with the same happiness with which God himself is happy. God created us to enjoy His own beatitude, God's own blessedness, God's own happiness and joy. This is something revealed to us by our Lord at the Last Supper in St. John's account. We have these wonderful lines that we have considered perhaps many times in our prayer. And on Gaudete Sunday, it's a good passage to return to. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Wonderfully consoling words, wonderfully encouraging words from our Lord. Lord, you've come and you've told us these things so that we may have your joy and that our joy may be complete. Lord Jesus, you want me to be happy. You want me to be joyful on this earth as much as possible, given Our circumstances and conditions, the crosses we have to bear, and then above all in heaven forever. Our Lord has come to make us joyful. And He gives us the deepest reason for joy right here. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. There's always reasons in life for sorrow. There's always reasons in life for sadness. There's always something wrong, there's always something missing, there's always some point of sorrow or suffering in our life. But it's also true, especially in light of our faith, in light of the reality of God and his love for us, that there's always reasons for joy, there's always reasons for hope, there's always reasons for cheerfulness, even in the midst of great suffering. And the deepest reason is this, that God is God. God is good. God loves me. God is my Father. Jesus loves me and is with me. He's died for me on the cross to save me from sins. And that's always true. That's a a truth and a source of joy that's absolutely untouchable. It's not going anywhere. God never changes, as St. Teresa of Avila reminds us in that beautiful prayer of hers. Let nothing disturb you. Patience obtains all things. God never changes. God alone suffices. And so on Good Sunday, we ask you, Lord, give me this joy. Give me the joy that you've come to bring me. Give me your joy. Your joy, Lord, consists of knowing that the Father loves you knowing that great, wonderful, rich, infinite love of the Father, and then giving yourself back freely to the Father, forgetting yourself, getting out of yourself, overcoming any natural self-concern that you had in your human nature, the joy of self-forgetfulness in love, powered by the Father's love for you. St. Thomas Aquinas says that joy is when our desires rest in the attainment of the good. When we attain some good that we want, we attain some achievement, or some material good that we need, or we reflect on some friendship, or anything good in our life, the result in the soul is happiness, is joy. It could be a pleasure if it's a lower kind of joy, but it can also be a spiritual pleasure, a very high spiritual joy in our mind and in our will primarily. To rest in the good. But for our soul to rest in the good, Lord, and in the good that is permanent, that is your grace, that is your love for us, that is the Father's love for us, well, we have to put our mind on it. The will only responds to and only rejoices in what the mind shows it or what the mind reveals to it. And many times this is our problem, is that when we're overly sad, when we're overly despondent, it's a matter of our attention. What am I thinking about? What am I putting my mind on? And again, if we habitually put our mind on what's missing, what's wrong, what makes me suffer, my problems, the problems in the world, etc., if we habitually put our, our mind on bad things, which bring us pain and sorrow, well, we're going to be habitually sad and depressed and despondent. Whereas if we make an effort because of our prayer life, because of our trust in God, because of our faith, if we make an effort to think more about the good things in our life, to turn our mind and heart towards the incredible good that we have in our life with Jesus Christ, with the gospel, with the sacraments, with the church, with our Christian vocation, with our good friendships and our family, with the mission that God has given to us, which fills our life with meaning. Others are counting on my Christian life. All those things, when we realize how good they are, they're sources of joy, they're causes of joy. Saint Paul says, Que sorsum sunt querite, sorsum sapite. Desire the things that are above. Taste or savor the things that are above. Desire true goods. Desire spiritual goods. Desire eternal goods. Taste, savor, enjoy the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our Lord must have been extremely joyful, extremely happy, no matter what was happening to Him, no matter how many causes of frustration or sorrow, disappointment. Part of our Lord was always totally happy, totally fulfilled. And why is that? Well, it's because theology teaches us that the nature of the Incarnation is such that our Lord's humanity was constantly beholding his divinity. And so in some part of our Lord's soul, in the higher reaches of his intellect, he always had the beatific vision. He was always seeing God. So part of him was always, in a certain sense, in heaven. And therefore, there was a joy in our Lord that was constant, that underlied and accompanied all of his varying moods and dispositions, as we see in the Gospel, sometimes he cries, sometimes he's afraid, sometimes he seems frustrated, sometimes he's angry, at other times he's more calm. And all those human emotions existed with a great spiritual joy because he was seeing God. G.K. Chesterton, writing about our Lord's human personality, we could say. We know there's only one person. In Jesus, it's the person of the Son of God. But he was true man. So he also had a kind of a a human persona, right? A human charism. A human way of being, we could say. This is Chesterton. Chesterton writes, his pathos was natural, almost casual. The Stoics, ancient and modern, were proud of concealing their tears. He never concealed his tears. He showed them plainly on his open face at any daily sight, such as the far sight of his native city. Yet he concealed something. Solemn supermen and imperial diplomats are proud of restraining their anger. He never restrained his anger. He flung furniture down the front steps of the temple and asked men how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. Yet he restrained something. I say it with reverence. There was in that shattering personality a thread that must be called shyness. There was something that he hid from all men when he went up a mountain to pray. There was something that he covered constantly by abrupt silence or impetuous isolation. There was some one thing that was too great for God to show us when he walked upon our earth. And I have sometimes fancied that it was his mirth right it was his mirth it was his it was his joy that our lord had to cover it over had to hide it because men wouldn't be able to understand it we who walk in this valley of tears would find it strange to see someone so constantly happy so consistently happy and so our lord had to hide it from us had to cover it over had to express it only when alone or on rare occasions. How could you not be happy, Lord? You are God, your eternal beatitude, begotten of the Father from all ages, loved with all the love that there is the love of God, the love of the Holy Spirit. How could our Lord not just be overwhelmed with joy? And if he showed it, right people would be like what's wrong with this guy why is he always smiling why is he so quick to smile and to laugh and this might happen to us in our christian life that we get used to being happy because we get used to knowing that god loves us and trying to do his will and we might be joyful in a kind of constant and consistent way and that that might strike people as a little bit strange and they might even ask us, why are you always so happy? What's your secret? Why are you always calm? Why are you always so happy? And this should happen to us. It should happen to us. St. Paul says it, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And Jesus, you say it, that you've come to give us your joy and that your joy will be in us. And so, of course, there are times when we're depressed for some reason or another. Bad things happen to us. We lose a loved one. And right? of course, there are times when our spirits are a little bit down. And it could be, too, that, that when we transition from lower joys to higher joys, right, there's a kind of sadness that goes with that. Because in order to have us live for this deeper joy, for this more spiritual joy, this more spiritual pleasures, we have to be detached from things that used to give us joy but ought not to anymore. And sometimes our Lord just does that, that all of a sudden, things that used to make us super happy, we'd be super excited about, well, they leave us flat. And there could be kind of a natural depression that takes place an indifference to earthly things. And the soul's not reaping the benefits yet of fully enjoying and fully giving itself over to spiritual goods. It hasn't learned how to delight in the Lord yet. And so in that transition, which could last a long time, the saints talk about this. They talk about the night of the senses in which earthly goods and lower joys are taken from us. They leave us flat. They don't satisfy us anymore. And yet God withholds the spiritual joy. He doesn't let us experience the joy of prayer or the joy of doing his will, the joy of contemplating him. We're doing those things, but we get no joy out of it. And so the old joys, the earthly joys don't satisfy us anymore. And the heavenly joys also kind of leave us flat for a while. And so that is experienced as a, as a kind of, uh, severe sadness at times right a severe disappointment the night of the senses where we have to let the senses die and the sensible enjoyments die for a while at least they they can come back to us in order to let the soul wake up and learn how to savor the things of god how to seek the things of god and savor the things of god as saint paul says seek the things that are above think of the things that are above. And so there's reasons. There's reasons for sadness. They could be the bad things, or they could be this process of, of purification. But in general, in general, or in a kind of a habitual way, we should always be cheerful. Cheerfulness, a certain joy, a certain calmness, should be our default mode. Because this is the truth of our life, that we're loved with the love of God. We have a great good in our life. And if we're bringing it to mind and we're putting all those sorrows and all of those difficulties into perspective, because we know they're for our good, we know that God is with us in them and that God will bring good out of us, well, then even in the sorrowful times, right, there's still a certain joy. There's still a certain hope. We never despair. We never give in to a complete sadness. Our Lord says that our joy should be His joy, as we just read. And He also tells us that it should be a very resilient joy. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day you will ask nothing of me. What a great promise from our Lord, the promise of our faith, Lord, the promise of our prayer life. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day you will ask nothing of me. Imagine that. Imagine coming to a, a time in which we trust God so much and in which we're so convinced of His reality that our prayers of petition cease. And we feel like we don't need to ask for anything, even though there's things that we would like to go one way or another. We trust God so much that we don't even ask Him for it. We Realize that He knows what we need before we ask Him, as Jesus says of God the Father. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What a great spot that would be to move, in a certain sense, beyond prayer of petition to just an abandonment, just to abandon everything in God's hands habitually. It's a resilient joy. No one will take your joy from you. And perhaps by contrast, Lord we can look in our prayer and ask ourselves, well, is my joy resilient or is it, on the, on the other hand, very fragile? Right? At times our joy can be extremely fragile. Our Lord says, no one will take it from you. And at times our joy is such that almost anything or anyone can take it from me at any time. Because it's so delicate. Because it's, it's not resilient. Because it's not in things that are eternal. I sleep a little bad and I feel like I have a right to be in a bad mood all day and to lose my patience with people. My favorite team loses a game on Sunday in football and I feel like I have the right to be depressed for three days. I remember living in Washington, D.C. for a while and the town was so crazy about the football team there. They used to be called the Redskins, but not anymore. And if the Redskins lost you could feel it in the city for like <laughs> three or four days that there was just this negativity in the air, this disappointment, this sadness. Or, Lord, traffic is bad and it takes my joy away. Or that person isn't changing in the way I want them to or not behaving the way I want them to, and I lose my joy. My joy is fragile, Lord, Because I forget you. I forget the great good that I have. And it's fragile, Lord, because I I put too much value into things that can be taken away, into earthly things that depend on chance or depend on others or depend on things that, that, that are changeable, that can change. My financial status, my career, my health, my friendships, my relationships. And all of those are things that we don't have full power over. That can be taken from us easily without our having done anything about it. And therefore, if our heart is too much in those things, if we're expecting too much joy from those things, well then when they don't work out the way we want or we lose them, we lose our joy. The more attached we are to changeable things, the more attached we are to contingent things, things that can we can lose or that can be taken away from us, the easier it is for us to lose our joy. At times, Lord, the one who takes away my joy is just me, right? I'm the one who can take it away. Jesus says, no one can take your joy from you. But at the same time, it's true that we can refuse to be joyful. We don't do what's necessary to be truly and constantly happy. At times, we can hold our joy hostage. Where we want to be happy, but I have a list of demands. And unless these demands are met, I'm not going to let my joy be free. I want to be happy, but there has to be no traffic, and I need good sleep, and I can't be sick, and I need this kind of food, and enough, I need enough free time for myself, I need enough rest. We have this list of demands for joy. And we look at reality and we look at god and we say i want to be happy but hey it's not my fault you're not cooperating right? my needs are not my needs are not being met and this of course is a danger for our time that affluence breeds needs and the more we have the less content we are with what we have and then when things happen economic downturn or reversal of fortune or shortage of something, well, we lose our peace and we lose our joy because we were too attached to those things. We put too much of our happiness in them. I read a quote recently. It said, Lord, comfort me in my affliction and afflict me in my comfort. Comfort us in our affliction and afflict us in our comfort. And that's a deep saying that that is helpful, that We need to be afflicted in our comfort to be truly happy, because we can make comfort an idol, having everything we need, when we need it, having things go our way, not having any obstacles in our life. We make an idol out of that comfort, and our Lord needs to afflict us in it, so we move beyond those things, and we move to a joy that is much deeper and much more fulfilling. Rejoice in the Lord always, I shall say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God is God. God is at peace because God is immutable. God never changes. Nothing bothers God. Nothing reaches in and changes God's happiness. God's beatitude. God is always okay with whatever is happening. or right, If we sin, well, He gives us more grace. He gives us more mercy. If bad things happen in the world because of fallenness and because of sin, well, He makes up for it with His goodness, at least eternally. right? Everything's going to be put right. And so to connect with God and to live in the conviction, not the feeling, not the emotion, but the conviction that God is all-powerful, that God knows all things, that God loves us, that God is infinite, that He's everywhere and in everything, and everything goes according to His plan. And if we mess up that plan, well, He turns it around to give us another chance and to bring good out of evil. But if we connect with that, that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, We don't get how he does that. We it's a mystery to us. We don't get how he can be so good, how he can turn evil into good. We don't understand it. But if we believe it and we start to live it and we start to rely on it, well then it's something that gives us a great security in our joy and a great security in our hope. It guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's that old saying, right? I'm okay, you're okay. right? I'm okay, you're okay. Well, the real the real saying, I think, is more like, God's okay, so I'm okay. Because He loves me. So even if I'm going through a tough time, even if there are sorrows in my life, I'm okay. Because God's okay. Right? God's okay, therefore I'm okay. God's all-powerful, God's good, God is my Father, and so at some part of my soul, some level of my soul, I'm at peace and I am, I'm happy and I'm expecting a great happiness. The first reading also encourages us to be cheerful. Shout for joy, O daughter Zion. We read in the book of the prophet Zephaniah. Shout for joy, O daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you have no further misfortune to fear. An exhortation to joy because of who God is and what He's doing for us, forgiving our sins, coming to visit us removing the judgment against us. On that day shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, be not discouraged. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in His love. He will sing joyfully because of you, as one sings at festivals. What a beautiful passage, because it tells us two things. First, the thing we've been considering already, that, Lord, you should be the great cause of my joy. There's many reasons for dissatisfaction, but there's always at least one huge reason for joy, which is the presence of God in my life and his love in my life. But the second point made here is very mysterious and very beautiful, that we are a cause of joy for God. God loves us, and therefore delights in us, loves to see us, loves to be with us, loves to forgive us. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than over 99 righteous who have no need of repentance. God loves to save us. He loves to forgive us. It makes Him happy. He will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in His love. He will sing joyfully because of you as one sings at festivals. Imagine that, right? God writing a song, a song of joy about us. Writing lyrics, singing our praises. God, God Almighty, infinite, perfect, the Holy One, the only one who's sinless, singing joyfully about us. What a crazy God we have! Right, a God who can take joy in His creatures, fallen as we are, who can take joy in remedying our weaknesses, in forgiving our sins, take joy in in loving rebel children, right, who have rebelled against Him and who are bent on making Him sad. God can rejoice in us because He comes to forgive all that. And because He is love, right? He is, he is joy itself. He is eternal beatitude. Lord, help me to enter into this logic of joyful love, to find my delight in thinking about you, to find my joy in loving you more and more, to find a great delight in pleasing you by living as you wish, by doing your will, to find a delight, Lord, even in the purifications that you send me. Because I have faith that they're for my good. And then to reflect, Lord, on your love for me. You love me so much that you rejoice over me. You're happy to see me. I'm the apple of your eye, right? As as scripture says at one point. Right? We're the apple of his eye. His eyes light up, they twinkle with joy when he sees us, his children. Lord, I want my heart... To be like that, that when I pray, when I see you in others, my soul rejoices. I shout, internally at least, with exultation. I sing a, a joyful song because of this great good in my life. We go to Our Lady cause of our joy. Our Lady is cause of our joy because she brings God to us. She brings Jesus to us. And that's exactly what she's doing in Advent. Carrying our joy in her womb, the joy of our God, who is our mighty Savior in our midst. Carrying him to Bethlehem to be born for us. A child is born for us. A son is born for us. Puer natus es nobis. Son, a child, is born for us. Come, Lord Jesus, come and do not delay.